Job 38, starting at verse 1 through 7. When, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now just stop for just a moment. If someone's talking to you out of a whirlwind and a whirlwind's about you, what are you doing? I'm hiding, I'm, I'm hunkered down somewhere in a bunker somewhere. God speaking to Job out of a whirlwind. Elihu saw it coming. It is broken upon, the, uh, or broken upon Job or broken out. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man. For I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who hath laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Same word shout as comes from make a joyful noise. Unto the Lord, all your lands. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony from Mr. Womack. We thank you, Lord, the reminder that we need to stay close to the cross. We need to have a short account of our sin, confess them readily, quickly. May we keep our minds on the right things. May we find your word, uh, find ourselves in your word daily. And may it be the guiding light for all of us. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Meriwether Lewis and William Clark embarked upon their legendary journey following the Missouri River up north through the Missouri River. They were trying to get a waterway from the Atlantic to the Pacific, and so they're looking for a way to do that. And as they went up north along the Missouri River, they came up to the Rocky Mountains. There's no way we're going to have a river go through the Rocky Mountains. And so they had to reevaluate, revise their plans to do what? reflect reality. And so now Job has come up against the Rocky Mountains, if you would, and is the monologue of God Almighty. We have four things in Job. We have the prologue, chapter 1 and chapter 2. We have the God and, and Satan meeting together, and then the terrible things that happen to Job, prologue, dialogue. Up, up next comes the dialogue, the three friends, and Job responds, and then we have now the monologue. God's going to speak. We've been look, I've been looking forward to this. It's 77 questions for Job in these verses, chapter 38, 39, 40, 41. And then we have the epilogue, 42. 42 is going to be like the winding down. And how see God, how, how God blesses Job. But we're up to the monologue, if you would. And it's, uh, it is a tremendous thing. The, remember, the ultimately, it's not about suffering. It's not about Job. It is about our wonderful God. That's what Job is about. He's a wonderful, powerful, awesome God. And we are to be search, worshiping him. Uh, one man said, I had a million questions to ask God. But when I met him, they all fled my mind and it didn't seem to matter. We have a lot of questions for God, but I think when we stand in his presence, a lot of our questions will be like uh, a mute point. Uh, why are we asking that? I mean, in presence of God, uh, my little issue here is not so big. And of course, now in heaven, we won't have the issues like we do now. But the storm really that Elihu had been describing has finally come to fruition, and he doesn't answer Job's, uh, he doesn't explain all about what's going on. It's not really so much an explanation from God, but it's really an explanation about God or of God, a revelation of God. He's going to ask Job, where were you? And one of Ken Ham's favorite questions is, were you there? Were you there? Were you there? 
There really is only one being who was there, and that was God. It's, it, it, in my mind, now I have a very simplistic mind, but why is it so hard to understand that there's one person who was there, and we have an account of that? God said, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. I was talking to my wife, we were talking about Islam and Hamas on the way to church, and the, the heinous things that are done. I said, and, and this, this idea that Allah, Jehovah, Christianity, and, and, and uh, Judaism are all worshiping one God and they're same. I said, baloney on that. Not, I don't think I use the word baloney. But Islam is diametrically opposed, diametrically opposed to Christianity. You know, they're waiting for the 12th Iman to come along. Who is going to come and rescue them? Supposedly the Iman has been in hiding since about the 8th or 9th century AD. And at one point in time when the world has enough chaos, see that's why they want the chaos, the turmoil, for them, then he will come and bring peace. The devil's an imitator. Right. I'm an imitator. Right. There is going to come a prince of peace who does have the power to bring peace. And by the way, the peace of Islam is everybody submits to Islam. And, and do you know, and I'm sure you know this already, even if every, all the world was Islamic, they'd be fighting among each other. I mean, they don't even agree with themselves, the Shiite and the Sunnis. That's a Shiite belief, what I just mentioned to you. Sunnis are not so much. And so we have, God is the God, and we understand that, and he's going to reveal himself in so many ways here in this next few chapters. Swiss psychologist Paul Turnier said in his book, Guilt and Grace, he says, for God's answer is not an idea, a proposition, like the conclusion of a theorem. It is himself. He revealed himself to Job, and Job found personal contact with God. Can you imagine? God spoke to Job. God spoke. Now, I'll have to be honest. Most of us, if you're like, well, maybe not like, my, I prefer to God to speak in the sunshine rather than the rain and the thunder, and the lightning. I like the sunshine that speaks, you know, and, but God chose to speak in thunder lightning on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. He spoke, to, uh, spoke in a fire from heaven, 1 Kings 19. Uh, and we also spoke to, to uh, Elijah when he was in the cleft of the rock, and we passed by. It was that still, small voice. God chooses to speak. Ezekiel saw the, the glory of God in the storm and heard the voice of God. Experiencing the majestic demonstration of God's power made Job very susceptible to the message of God had for him. I'm telling you, if my mom and dad had the big paddle waving, listen, young man, you'd better take out that trash. I am on it right now. I'm at the door. I remember it was the first call for supper. 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 The third time, Timothy Scott right dropped that basketball. Or I don't know what she said. Get in here right now. I knew then I better go or he's going to be smack, smack, smack. If you're in the whirlwind, God's speaking to you from the whirlwind, and there's a whirlwind going all around you, and you're covering your head, I think God's going to get your attention pretty good. He spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. And 77 questions interspersed with divine commentary relating to the questions. The whole purpose of this interrogation was to make Job realize his own inadequacy and and an ability to meet God as an equal and defend his case. Remember Job saying, just, just let me have my voice, 1322. Job 13, 22, then call, well, it says for us here, then call thou, and I will answer. Or let me speak, and answer thou me. Like, we're on an equal footing with God, that you can respond and act with God. Respond carefully. We can't. So, three questions summarize the, the, these chapters. 
One, can you explain my creation? Two, can you oversee my creation? And three, can you subdue my creation? We're going back to question one. Can you explain my creation? And God deals with the power and wisdom in bringing the universe into being. Job, can you explain how all this works? Mankind has tried. I was telling my wife again on the way to church tonight, listen, God's plan is the only way that works. He's the only, has the answer, the only way it works from beginning. How do you explain that? Well, God did says this. The Bible says that. How do you, and when you deviate from that, you just, you're going to end up in a bad place. Or you're going to end up certainly contrary to God's word. The third part of that question, I'm looking forward to the subdue my creation, the Leviathan and the behemoth. Looking forward to talk about those things. And they're not alligators, by the way, or elephants. Much more than that. And by the way, they were contemporary. Job was contemporary with the dinosaurs. I'm telling you, don't be surprised if someday they actually have a live living dinosaur here on earth. And you see it on video, a live living. Don't be surprised about that. They're not 65. That's all man 65 million years ago. How do you know that? You can't even. Anyway, we'll stop with that. But anyway, we find then that the Leviathan, looking forward to that. Back to our text, let us zero back in on that. Yes, pastor, let's do that. 38 verse 1, we have the sovereign. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Now, the capital L, L-O-R-D. Now, what is that word, name for God? We know that, capital G, capital O, capital D. Yahweh, Yahweh, the tetragrammaton. That is the Y-H-W-H, J-H-B-H, Jehovah. Yahweh, that is his personal name. Where do we find that so clearly given to us? Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. Yes, it is. And Moses, I am that I am. I was listening to a, a, one of Stephen Chronister's his name. And I was reading on it, reading on it, I thought, now why is he so, he's very, into, I, just, I love it because he's, he's challenging your thinking. It's, it's postgraduate messages. I'm like, well, no wonder they're like, like that. Whoa, like, where did this come from? And you start putting it all together. Like, wow. It's like, I like it. It, it. We need to have our thinking, biblically speaking, you know, challenged and not, not in the wrong way, but study more. Get into the book. What does the Bible say? Learn and grow and learn that fire that Mr. Womack, I need to have that fire, that, 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 that on fire for God. Just a good, steady burn. Perhaps because they don't want you to burn out, per se, but we want a good, steady burn for God. So we have the sovereign, and he is, he is the one who is the Almighty. That's his name. I am that I am. And he answered Job out of the whirlwind. One man said, the clouds to which Elihu has pointed as covering the light had grown darker and more threatening until they overspread the sky. The lightning, the thunder, and the tempest in which the Lord had veiled his awful majesty had been steadily approaching and filled all hearts with solemn dread. And now from the bosom of the rushing storm comes forth a voice. The voice of Jehovah speaking unto Job. If I were picking a voice, I might choose the late James Earl Jones. He had a real deep voice like that. And he would go, and he'd just like roll it out. You have that, uh, there's a guy, that Dr. Parker at Bob Jones has that real, he's a, he's a real big uh, bass baritone, real big voice. God's voice is the thunder. I mean, there we go. That's how God speaks. We get, we're afraid sometimes, and our pets, your dogs, my grand dogs are deathly afraid of thunder and lightning. The cats, I think, hide themselves too. Sometimes it's a little disconcerting for us. We see the lightning close, and we're wondering how loud it's going to be. It's going to be loud. It's awful close. It was loud. 
God does all those things. That, that's, that's the footprints of God, if you would. He, he's all about that. Very much an attention getter. Now, overwhelmed by, by approaching storm, Elihu now personifies it in terms of God's glorious presence and activity. The thunder in God's majestic voice, the shafts of lightning are his servants, and the weather is a tool in his hand to deal with man and lands. Has he not used weather to deal with mankind? Was a three and a half year drought in Israel to get their attention? Yes, we need rain here. I mean, we need rain here. We're low. All across America, we've got droughts here, droughts there. Is God not in control of that? Yes. He is. Whirlwinds, the same term used of Elijah's departure into heaven. In 2 Kings chapter one, 2, verse 1, Ezekiel, the term with please, Ezekiel 1, 4, and then we'll, we'll need Nahum 1, 3. If you get back over to Ezekiel, we may not even want to get in Ezekiel the, after this morning. But there we go, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud of fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof as the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Job used a form of this word and complaint that God was crushing him with a tempest in Job 9.17. For he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without cause. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3, if you would please. The same form occurs here. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3. Just go to Daniel. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. There we go. Nahum. That's how I do it. There we go. I can't, you can't pick them out in the middle. I've got to start at the beginning. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. So there we go. If I've gone to Habakkuk, I've gone too far. Nahum chapter 1, verse 3. Unstick your pages. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. What a poetic terminology, if you would. Now, one man said that he, that he believes that he often thought this means that God gets his way in the whirlwind and storm, that he's always in control and accomplishes his purposes, even though things seem out of control. That's, that's a good idea. I agree with that idea. The idea that he is sovereign in circum, chaotic circumstances is certainly latent in there, but an even greater assurance than God's control over things is that God's personal presence in the midst of chaos. Don't you like it? says right here the, the dust of his feet and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So, in the midst of the storm, God has not been absent, he just hasn't talked yet, but not absent. So now he's going to talk. And so God's pathway is the pathway of the storm. Those dark clouds surrounding you are merely the dust of the path, his footprints making the dust on the path. And the storm is not a sign of God's absence, but a sign of God's presence. We wonder when the storm comes, where is God? God is right there. And, and when the thunder and lightning come, God is right there. He's just as present in the storm. So Job, he is still sovereign. And then Nahum 1.3 goes beyond God's aloof control over uh, the stormy events of Elias. He ensures us his personal presence in them. He is with us. His, I love that. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. John 10.4 says, And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Job is not suffering for his sin, but even when believers suffer under chastening hand, God is still there. Even when he allows, turns up the heat a bit, he's still there. He's still there watching over the thermostat, and he's still not going to send you something that you and him cannot handle together. 
Remember, he wants our attention, deserves our worship and praise, and he might, might do things to get us to turn back to him and trust him more. A faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. He tenderly offers himself in Ezekiel eleven sixteen. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, although I have cast him far off among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. I was reading Mr. Uh, Gary Messer encouraged me to read Isaiah 54. And that would take care of, he said, I'll take care of all the preterists who believe that Israel is no, no longer important and that church has replaced Israel. Just read that chapter. That one chapter will cure them of that, he said, in so, in so much language. And I read it. It's true. You should read it for yourself this week, Isaiah 54. Now, if the Lord's gracious in the midst of displaying us, how much more gracious he is going to be when, when we have this unmerited affliction. So we have unmerited affliction, you're living right, God still allows things into our lives, as he did Job, to draw us to himself, to make us more like himself. He wants us to grow. I don't know, this, as we were getting out the car just this evening, uh, the Yukon, it, it wouldn't stop. And so we turned it, turned it off, and it kept, the fans running up front, turn it back on, the fans running, turn it off. And so Pastor Phil came along and pulled up for choir, and I was getting ready to try to unhook the fan. He said, why don't you just unhook the battery and let it reset? Oh, yeah. And so, throw it off, put it back on, start up, and the fan was off. Woohoo! So we can maybe get it somewhere and get it looked at. But you know, all, all these things, it's not to make me like bite spit nails and, and all those different things and whatever you're supposed to do when you get angry, which we're not supposed to do a lot of things when you get angry. It's to trust him. These little things. Is he concerned about that? Yes, he's concerned about that. He is there and he is not silent. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, in chapter back over to 38, verse 1, Job had lots of questions for God. And, and, and answers from God exactly what after uh, and answers from God is exactly what Job was looking for in Job 31, 35. Job 31, 35, please. 31, 35. Of Job says for us. Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that my adversary had written a book. That the Almighty would answer me. You better be careful what you ask for. God, I want you to show me my sin. You better get ready. If you really mean business, he will really show you. What in your life is not pleasing to him? The Holy Spirit is very capable of doing that. 30, verse 20. 30, verse 20. Job 30, 20. says for us, I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up, and thou regardest me not. The Lord heard him plain and simple, and the Lord hears us. When we cry unto him and, and plead, he hears us. Just because he doesn't answer the way you think he should, and in the time you should, please don't think that he's not being attentive. He knows at all. 13.22. 13.22 says for us here, Then call thou, and I will answer. Or let me speak, and answer thou me. See, Job was not sinning when all this happened. He was not. But now since he'd gone through this, he's gotten a little bit carried away with his language. He's gotten a little bit throwing a dispersion against Almighty God. And, and answer me, it's like it's just taking the high hand, if you would, not the high road, the high hand against God. And Elihu said, no, Job, that's wrong. I think Job started to realize that. And God's going to parallel what Elihu had said. And Job, and the Lord answered Job, 
when we were married, living in a little, it was, we were living in a two-family home in Garfield, New Jersey. It was a Polish neighborhood. The ladies upstairs would come down. We had our TV on for any loudness at all. They would come down. Can you, can you turn your TV down? Yes, ma'am. Turn the TV down. Can you turn your TV down? Yes, ma'am. We turned it down. And Ian was just a little, a little, just a baby, baby. And so we thought we needed something to entertain us. So we got the Sega Genesis game. This is like when it was really popular at the time. It's like, if I had it today, I could probably sell it for a whole lot more money than I, by the way, they're very, very valuable if you have a nice shaped old game system. And I had the one game had the worm. I can't remember the name of it, but it started. Get ready. And then you would take off. This is. Get ready, Job, because here it comes. Here it comes. Get ready. And we, on your mark, get set. This is the. That's what it is. Because Job is answer. Will you answer me? Yes, I'm going to answer. And you had. You're not ready for this, Job. You're not ready. You're not ready. So that's the sovereign. There's the setting. Keeping the eye on the clock. Not to worry. I know you trust me by now. To do that, keep my eye on the clock. Question is, can you, question one, can you explain creation? That goes all the way through verse 38 of this chapter. We're not going near that far. So what do you know? Question two, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? The Lord's opening salvo is aimed squarely at Job. Now later God credits Job's words that were right. Let's look at that, please. Job 42, verse 7. Let's look and see that Job had uttered a lot of right words. 42, 7, and 8. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto thee now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to thy servant Job. Go to thy servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For him I will accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that which ye have not spoken to me, the thing which is right, like my servant Job. Now, if you're one of those three dudes, I'm thinking you're coming, uh, Job, uh, Mr. Job, sir, uh, Mr. Job, uh, can, I just, can I just say that I, I really, I really blew it. And here's the key to my brand new Escalade. And as, as a token of my sorriness to you, you may have that. So far up here. And Mr. Job, I'm giving you I'm giving you ten a hundred head of cattle. Here they are. Here's the key to the ranch. Uh, and Mr. Job, I, I'm giving you uh five piece wedges of gold. Here they are. Not they did not do that. I, I'm reading way between the lines there, but what would you feel like had you been one of the three who's the, the so critical of Job at the end? My servant Job, God says, and you go to him now. Don't you think that God's gonna reward us if we're faithful? When I get to heaven, I don't want my mom and dad, I know Jesus is far more important, but I don't want my mom and dad saying, you know, you, just, you really blew it there at the end. That would make me weep. How much more Jesus. You know, Pastor Tim, you did okay for a while, but at the end of the game, you, you sort of left your first love. May we, may we get home before dark, as Vance Havner says. Get home all the way to the end. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see him. 
I'd be like, wow. Didn't even know. It's not even important anymore. Serve him faithfully. Serve him. Who is this? The darkness uh, counseled by words without knowledge. Now, now God does, if you're looking back to 40, God does, uh, Job does not do exceptionally on everything. He does have some faults. 40 verse 2, shall he that condemneth or contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer. Verse 8, 40, verse 8, Wilt thou also disannul my judgment, and wilt thou condemn me, that thou mayest be righteous? Job had some problems. He did. And so every single speech he made was not spot on, if you would. He had gotten a little bit sideways, thinking of God incorrectly. So who is this that darkeneth counsel of word by words without knowledge? Before we do too much to Job, how many times have you and I gotten sideways with God about things because we simply won't do what he wants us to do and what we know is right. One rendering is this, why are you using your ignorance to deny my providence? Another said, who is this that clouds up my divine plan with ignorant verbiage? What are you doing? To this is what I'm, and why are you think that you can somehow superintend and tell me what to do, really? That's Job has spoken. As if his innocence gives him direct access to the mind of God and as if his wisdom earns him his own finite mind that it can comprehend the infinite mind of God. It does not work that way. Knowledge of our own ignorance is the first step toward true wisdom. Shall I repeat that? We shall. Knowledge of our own ignorance is the first step toward true wisdom. Now, God's about wisdom and understanding. Chapter 38, please. Chapter 38, look at verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. Who is this that darkness counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof? If thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Knowest, understanding, perceived, answer, knowledge. Knowledge and know appear 15 times in God's speech. The synonym understanding occurs an additional seven times. God, Job uses the terms to admit that even when he it was, uh, said was right, that he did not really know. Job 42, verse 2, that I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought will be withholden from thee. 42, verse 3, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, verse 4, 42. And I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. So your books, Job, for speaking on the presumption of knowing all about God's work. The question is not why, but who. It is God. God is yet in control. Why is it happening? God has a plan. It is the mark of a thinking soul to ask, is the mark of a thinking soul to ask why rather than to sit lifelessly on, on the ash heap of disinterest, feeling nothing, caring nothing. But it had been Job's chronic question throughout the book. We are not alone when we ask why, but answering our why is never God's primary concern or our chief need. When God finally speaks, he answered, but does not explain to Job why all this happened. The irony is he could have explained is not complicated. We get the explanation for us in, in the dialogue, in the prologue, then the dialogue, etc. A fundamental flaw in our thinking sometimes, one man said this, they assume that everything that takes place in God's universe ought to be explained to us. They assume that God owes us an explanation, that there cannot possibly be any good reason for God not to tell us everything we want to know immediately. 
And that can be the arrogancy of even a believer today that God owes it and needs to tell me all these things. The very attitude that God aims to humble out of Job. So I wonder this evening, is it all about us or is it all about God? Sometimes our biggest prohibitor of joy is our own li- in our own lives is us. I close with this. Tom Anderson recounts this, and I'm going to just pretty much read it. It, makes, it just flows right along. He said, I made a vow to myself on the drive down to Vacation Beach Cottage for two weeks. I would try to be a loving husband and father. Totally loving. No ifs, ands, or buts. The idea had come to me as I listened to a commentator on my cart's tape player. He was quoting a biblical passage about husbands being thoughtful of their wives. Then went on to say, love is an act of the will. A person can choose to love. To myself, I had to admit that I had been a selfish husband, that our love had been diluted by my own insensitivity. In petty ways, really chiding Evelyn for her tardiness, insisting on the TV channel I wanted to watch, throwing out day-old newspapers before Evelyn even had a chance to read them. He said, well, for two weeks, all that would change. And it did. He said, right from the moment, I kissed Evelyn at the door and said, that yellow sweater looks great on you, honey. Oh, Tom, you noticed? She said, surprised and pleased and maybe a little bit shocked. After the long drive, I wanted to sit and read. Evelyn suggested a walk on the beach. I started to refuse, but then I thought, you know, Evelyn's been alone here with the kids all week, and now she wants to be alone with me. We walked on the beach while the children flew their kites. So it went. Two weeks of not calling the Wall Street investment firm while I'm a director, a visit to the Shell Museum, though I actually hate museums. Holding my tongue when Evelyn's getting ready made us late for dinner again. Relaxed and happy, that is how the whole vacation passed. I would made a new vow to keep on remembering to choose to love once we got home. There was only one thing that went wrong, however, my experiment. On the last night of our cottage, in our cottage preparing for bed, Evelyn says, stared at me with the saddest expression, and I said, what's the matter? She said, Tom? In a voice filled with distress, do you know something I don't? What do you mean, I asked. Well, that checkup I had several weeks ago, Tom, our doctor, did he tell you something about me, Tom, because you've been so good to me? Am I dying? And it took him for a moment to sink in, and then he responded. He said, no, honey. He wrapped his arms around her and said, you're not dying. I'm just starting to live. Just starting to live. I'm just starting to live when you put him first. Are you starting to live? Or are you still all about me? All about me. Let's pray. Lord, help us to start to live in spiritual sense, allowing you to live your life through us, allowing us to do things we cannot do on our own, to love people as we should by you living your life through us. Forgive us for arrogancy, for not having humility. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then, will I hear. Lord, help us to be people of humility. May we go out this week serving you in humility and joy because we've learned to start to live. I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.